all know that the B2B sales process is becoming increasingly complex. Over the past many years, we have seen a shift in how B2B buyers make decisions. They are much more informed, have too many options and are digitally well connected to validate their choices. Sellers struggle and often fail to provide their buyers with the right answers. This alignment gap between buyers' expectations and sellers' skill continue to grow and the new normal with COVID-19 isn't helping. But is the gap because the sellers are less capable? Or is there something else that is fundamentally misaligned? We are questioning everything from old school sales practices to how we communicate with a buyer who knows it all. Let's hear what an expert has to say. Hi guys, this is your host Ashish Chen and you're listening to the Alignment Podcast where we aim to expose the day-to-day misalignments between marketing and sales activities and discuss practical solutions to end this long-standing paradigm. Today's guest is Spencer Wixom, the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Business Development at Challenger Inc., an organization with many top-selling books on overcoming sales challenges such as the Challenger Sale, the Challenger Customer and the Effortless Experience. With over 15 years of experience at CEB, Gartner and Challenger, Spencer has transformed sales and marketing teams in some of the biggest and best companies in the world. He regularly authors articles on sales and marketing alignment, a passion that we both share. I'm hoping to gain some insights from him around what is good sales enablement and how sales and marketing should align during these trying times. Welcome to the show, Spencer. Thank you, Ashish. It's wonderful to be here. All right. So you've been in this area of sales enablement, sales alignment, you know, whatever term we want to pick for past many years. So give us a bit of a rundown in your experience from CEB to Gartner to Challenger, what you guys have been doing and how what you have seen change and what is yet to come. Yeah, I'd love to. And what's interesting as I think about it is it's created a bit of a full circle over the last 12 years or so. And let me just take a minute to paint that circle for you. So when I began uh, in CEB in the mid-2000s, we were studying uh, high-performer behavior in a sales organization. So we were trying to identify the activities that differentiated high-performer sellers from core-performer sellers. It was a very different world in analyzing a sales organization back then you didn't have all of the tools and the what some will call uh, email and calendar exhaust that you could analyze to understand where high performers were spending their time versus core performers. So we would do it with survey instruments and try to understand with the hope that we could identify objectively, this is the activity that is the key to making the difference. And we did that for a few years and, and we're quite successful at doing it in some organizations. But ultimately, uh, what, we, what we found, and this was particularly true when you had the global financial crisis of 2007, 2008, that what was the, made the difference between high-performing sellers and core-performing sellers was a different in, difference in hearts and minds. Your high-performers were just geared differently in thinking about the customer, in their focus on the customer, in their desire to bring insight to the customer. And that's ultimately what led to this original challenger study, which came out about 2008, 2009, where we identified various profiles of performance and found that the challenger profile performed four and a half times, was four and a half times more likely to be a high performer in a complex B2B sales environment. 
And I think the that environment, global financial crisis, reduction in spending, a lot more complexity, growing buying groups, all of that was a perfect ground for us to originally validate in Study Challenger. Then we had that recovery and we had a number of years where the economy was moving along at a really good clip. And you had a lot of these complex buying groups in B2B organizations who were actively making decisions, actively purchasing things because their organizations had budget, their organizations were growing. And I think a lot of people in that period of time forgot some of the fundamentals that make uh, complex B2B sales difficult because there was so much established demand in the, in the market. Then you have COVID and you have the economic situation that we find ourselves in right now. And all of a sudden, all of that established demand, all of that activity that was happening anyway among complex buying groups comes to a halt. And sellers, again, similar to the way they felt back in 2007, 2008, realize we need to go in and actually create demand. We need to assemble these buying groups. We need to help these buying groups come to consensus and make decisions. And all of a sudden, a lot of these fundamental skills that were so critical and that identified high performers in 2007 and 2008 are now again at the fore. And buyers are telling us these skills are critically important for the sellers that call on me. And I'm just not seeing sellers meet the bar that I would expect or that I want to motivate me to action, to motivate me to consensus among a buying group that I would like to see. Oh, wow. So interesting, right? So you're, you're saying the, the financial crisis that we all saw back in the days. I mean, although it depends, you know, we're seeing again at the COVID-19. I mean, that's, that's natural, right? Because of the situation, the sales behavior is is supposed to change and that is not what is changing if i if i captured your thought correctly there but a couple of things i want to understand right so when i talk, when we talk about b2b tech b2b tech as an industry itself moves so fast there's technology and innovation happening front right and center every day right there's always you know startups coming out um there's new innovation out there and my personal experience had been the thought you you portrayed there in terms of you have to create demand, that is there regardless in the B2B tech world because you're always convincing the buyer of the benefits of the new thing, right? Once you get to a maturity level of a technology, you know, the demand starts to follow. But if you're always living at the edge, right, to, to use that that phrase here, is you know you're always at the edge of that you know the first 13 14 percent of the people if you look at that um the, the graph of maturity graph of any technology it always goes towards you know up in the year and there are early adopters of the technology and then there are you know the skeptics who say okay this is not going to work and then right. it comes down it goes back to a maturity level where most of the crowd follows right if I divide up that percentage between, you know, the early starters to the skeptics to the one who follows, I mean, the ratio is roughly around 13, 15% upfront are doing, you know, the early adopters and 15% skeptics and the rest 70% kind of starts to follow depending on, you know, the, the, if the technology sustains. Yeah, it's a Pareto. Definitely. Right, right. So 
that creation of demand is there but are you saying even in during for the maturity curve the technologies that are mature the mindset of for the sales people has to change from hey this is even though the technology is mature you still have to create demand well absolutely and and i think all the more so uh it, it, this goes to jeffrey moore's book right crossing the chasm yeah. so uh when you're talking about innovators and first movers those are the ones who are going to appreciate your technology and your products your services your features and benefits they're going to intuitively get it and a lot of organizations uh sales organizations have this false sense of security because they found it simple or easy to sell to innovators first movers then all of a sudden you know as the organization grows and they scale the number of sales people and they're trying to professionalize their sales function and then go out to connect with uh the early and late majority all of a sudden they find that the value proposition they need to present to the early and late majority is very different than the value proposition they needed to present to innovators and first movers. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to a marketing sales collaboration issue. Right? The the early and late majority, they're not particularly interested in nor familiar with your innovations and your technology. What they are interested in is making progress or solving problems that they're either uncovering in their business on their own or that you're uncovering for them. And that's a, that's a very different uh, conversation. And if you're a salesperson, let's just take tech for example, who is well steeped in your technology, passionate about your technology, what it it's all about and you go out and you just pitch or present that technology to customers, that will work for some a you know 15-20% of your customers. But will that message necessarily work for that early and late majority uh my argument would be no you need to position it in a different way to first of all have them recognize a, a an issue or a struggle that they have in making progress and then connect to or lead to your solution or your technology as a uh support for that struggle and you know, i totally agree uh, when you know i do go to market strategies work with others you know this is always a question right i always ask them at what stage are you entering the market right is the market mature to to understand the message you are giving or you know you have to educate the market to understand what the value you're bringing to the, to them and and more often so i i see that you know people to your point right does it work for them and does it work or uh, the the value you're bringing to an early stage when the technology itself is new not your product entry point is new but your technology the technology itself is new people are more interested to to see hey does this work right versus when the market the technology or the market is mature they want to see does it integrate with the rest of my ecosystem right and and that's where you know the does it work for me differs at what stage you're you're bringing your message Now going back to your earlier point right the financial crisis and now the covid crisis you've done some surveys in terms of understanding you know where the what's the seller's perception or the buyer's perception of the sellers and where do they see the gaps can you throw some light on it and and what those gaps seems to be and how sales people can readjust their strategies or skills to be successful in the coming times 
Sure. So it's interesting. We we're constantly evaluating both sellers and buyers. We like to look at it from both sides of the the table, and we're sampling our community, uh, both the community of sellers and sales leaders, as well as our community of buyers to understand uh, both sides of it. Let me start with the buyers and tell you some interesting things that we found. So we first were studying buyers back in 2007, 2008. And this is where we came up with the concept, which is pretty central to our whole challenger philosophy, which is this insight-led sales experience. And that the sales experience represents over 50% of the loyalty equation uh, with with a customer. So if I'm a seller and I want to develop loyalty with a customer... And by loyalty, I mean uh, a customer's interest in buying more from me more often, a customer's interest in advocating on my behalf or experimenting with new offers or opportunities, which is very much in that uh, tech world there, then I need to bring them an insight-led sales experience. At least that's what buyers told us. That made up more than half of the equation in their mind. And uh, that was a very popular finding and has continued to be a very popular finding. And of course, as findings age over time, people start to question, well, is it still valid? Does that sales experience still matter as much as it used to? And so in 2018, late 2018, 2019, we restudied that. Uh, We went out to buyers. We had them allocate pennies, so to speak, across various categories. And it turns out that uh, an insight-led sales experience still is 50% of that equation. So very little change in those numbers. And in fact, we deepened the validation in 2018, 2019 by looking at retention of existing customers and uh, initial sell with a new customer. And it turns out that the sales experience is dominant in both of those areas. So if you want to bring new customers in or uh, deepen a relationship with existing customers, that insight-led sales experience is a critical part of that equation. Now, we went a step deeper also in 2018, 2019, because we wanted to understand from the buyer's perspective, what skills that sellers bring are A, most important to you, and B, do you see more frequently performed at a high level versus C, less frequently performed at a high level? So your opinion or perspective on those seller skills. Well, let me tell you a few that buyers told us were most important when sellers were calling on them. Number one is demonstrating unique insight, bringing a unique perspective to that customer. Helping that customer make decisions was also up there. Uh, Having an understanding of the various stakeholders' interests in the buying group. So tailoring a message, being able to configure that message to appeal to the interests of the various stakeholders. Helping that buyer build support or consensus in the organization. And overall, just making it easy for that buyer to complete the transaction. These were the skills that buyers told us were most important to them. Now, we also asked how frequently or to what degree of expertise are sellers bringing these skills to the table? And we measured that in 2018, 2019, and then COVID hit. And we decided, you know what, we wanna take another look at the buyer's perspective or opinion of the skills that the sellers bring. And so we restudied this summer that exact same thing. And this is where there was a very interesting finding that you alluded to a bit at the beginning of our conversation. When we looked at those same skills, 
uh, between 2018, 2019, and then 2020 post-COVID, we found a pretty consistent drop among each of them in the opinion of buyers. So for example, demonstrating unique insight, buyer's opinion of seller's capability to demonstrate unique insight fell 52% in that time frame, in a year, year and a half time frame. Helping buyers make decisions, it fell 34%. Seller understanding of stakeholder interests fell 41%. Now, if you add up the average across, say, these top five most important skills, it's down on average 40% in the eyes of buyers. Now, and I think, Ashish, you made this point earlier. We can't just assume that seller capability has fallen 40% post-COVID, that sellers have just erased their memories or their skill sets in some way. No, I think instead what you have to look at is say buyer's bar or their expectation has gone up significantly. And sellers, the big sin I think sellers are committing is not adapting, not noticing that buyers are looking for something different, looking for something better, and not rising to meet the occasion. Continuing to do or perform in the same way they always have and expect buyers to react in the same way buyers always have, which buyers are very clearly telling us is not the case. Wow. But those are some big numbers there, big drops. And certainly uh, it's something that if sales leaders are listening to this, they should really carefully, carefully watch out like, okay, did I, I mean, they're the same people who are selling last year and hopefully they have kept their people. and. And even if they are new, I mean, they can't be that big of a shift on a, on, a, on a buyer's eye. How much do you think this whole notion, when I said new norm of selling, right? The new norm of selling, I mean, typically sales is very, you know, warm handshake, you know, meeting the customer, being in their office, all that is no longer there. I mean, very few, right? It's all happening over, you know, one or the other type of conference calls, video sessions, and I mean, that personalized touch and interest, you know, that you can have with customer, how much do you think that is impacting this? And also another, my theory is salespeople who have adopted the digital way of selling and they are more involved, they're, you know, they're constantly in front of their customers through one or the other social channels. Uh, they're regularly, you know, right in front of them. Again, to your point of, you know, insight-led sales, I mean, if the only time they have an opportunity to give that insight is when they are meeting them, then they've already missed the boat versus, you know, they're regularly posting stuff on LinkedIn or whatever social channel their customers are, are present. They're they're regularly sharing their insights on what matters for the business. They are building slowly but steadily the loyalty with the customer, right? And and salespeople who have adopted that mode of digital presence have probably been less hit than others who have followed a very traditional way of selling, of just using warm handshakes. What do you what do you thought on that? No, I think you're you're absolutely right on both fronts, and I'll add a few to what you said. So let me first just paraphrase uh, what you were talking about and and respond to it. So number one, yes, this whole idea of shifting fully to a virtual sales environment, particularly in complex B2B, or particularly in complex account management, where perhaps your presence was actually in the customer's organization. So let's say you were a key account manager, 
and you almost had a desk at the customer's uh, facility and new people and could you know navigate your way around that facility, it becomes a lot more difficult when you are selling fully virtually and just engaging with people and maintaining those relationships for sure. Secondly, the idea that, yeah, if sellers have not shifted to having a digital footprint and to engage customers or inform customers and teach customers across multiple channels, then the customers are going to notice you far less. So that that probably plays into it as well, that there are a lot of sellers who have not fully engaged digital and social channels to reinforce their sales message and to build their personal brand. I think there's also, there, there are some elements at play on the buyer's side. So those are a couple of seller side elements. There's some buyer side elements at play as well, which is the idea that procurement has taken a much more active role in spending and they've reduced budgets and they have put uh, much more scrutiny into every deal. Uh, so um, when you have a reduction in budget where they say only essential spend and where they say each deal will require all of these additional layers of scrutiny, you put those two elements together and you have objections. You have real objections. And I think what's interesting in the boom years of you know 2015 to 2019, whatever period you want to call it, there were objections, but a lot of those objections were to essentially just pressure test uh, the various sellers against one another and to to lightly test sellers. I, I don't think objections during the boom time because companies were going to buy. They were going to do something. They had the budget. They had the initiative. They had the autonomy to do things. They were going to buy. It was just more a matter of like from whom we buy and under what circumstances we buy. Now, those objections are real. And uh, sellers need to be capable of handling real objections, real concerns in those buying journeys. Um, so I, I think that's part of it as well. There's, a, there's just a lot more inertia in, in a buying organization to, to get things done. Now that's, uh, that's a very important point. The, the level of scrutiny is definitely increasing and everything has, is cushioned. Uh, whether we need it or not. So, I mean, great discussion here, uh, Spencer. If we have to close on this and say, okay, here are the three things that the sellers should do now to sustain in the trying times, what would those be uh, from your point of view? No, it's a good question. I, there is one thing I just wanted to comment on before uh, I maybe close up with those ideas. And that is that uh, sales leaders understand the situation um, similar to the way buyers understand the situation. So as I said before, we survey both sellers and uh, buyers. And we went out to sales leaders and we asked them post-COVID, how are your people doing? Give us an evaluation of your people across some of these same lenses, their ability to teach commercially, to bring unique insight, to build consensus and, and tailor their messages, their ability to build urgency in a buying group and help facilitate forward movement of that buying group. And about uh, around half, sometimes a little more than half, sometimes a little less than half of sales managers would tell us their sellers are really struggling with that. So a majority of sales leaders recognize the issue, recognize that disconnect 
between the strategy the seller is taking, the level of capability the seller is bringing to this complex sale, and the buyer's opinion or the buyer's perspective and what the buyer actually needs. And so, uh, and, and sales leaders have incorporated that into some of their key priorities for 2020 into 2021. So when we asked sales leaders and said, you know, what are you planning to do? What are you planning to address most urgently over the next, say, six to 12 months? What they told us, number one, we got to rebuild pipelines. We've got to have sellers who can go out there and target effectively because not all organizations are equally capable or interested in buying right now, do really good territory targeting, find the right prospects, and then be able to engage those prospects effectively around a new idea and convert that new new idea into a commercial opportunity. We need to be able to do that well because the the primary sales metric concern of sales leaders right now is that front-end pipeline, building enough opportunities in the funnel uh, to, to be able to hit quotas. Now, of equal concern is uh, increasing value capture among existing customers. So a lot of long time existing customers have gone to sleep in the current environment and that's concerning to sales leaders as well. Um, and, and I think that requires a very similar skill set on the part of sellers that uh, building initial pipeline is when you're trying to wake up that existing customer base, you've got to bring them insight. You've got to bring them ideas for customer improvement. And then the third thing they say is improving the effectiveness of sellers. And I think they see the third one as the input to achieve the first two. If we're more effective, if we're meeting that bar more effectively with our existing customers and our new prospects, we'll see more front-end pipeline and we'll wake up those existing client accounts. Now, I'll I'll just leave you with uh, where I think the focus should be. And the focus should be pretty simple should start with, do we have the right message? Do we have a message that's powerful that will teach customers something they're not considering and build that motivation for action? You really need to test the quality of the message you're giving your salespeople to deliver. Now, secondly, do they have the skills to deliver that message effectively? And are you monitoring and measuring the delivery of that message? I'll tell you, this is a great time for conversational intelligence tools. If you haven't incorporated one of those tools when the vast, vast, vast majority of your interactions with customers are over video conferencing like Zoom, uh, where you can record all of it, you can measure it, you can analyze it, uh, this is a great time to engage with one of those conversational intelligence tools. And then you've also got to ask, um, because it's so important to find the right advocates inside the customer's organization to build consensus and manage the buying group, a seller can't do that from the outside. Are we identifying the right stakeholders? And at Challenger, we call them mobilizers. And our second book in the Challenger series talks a lot about that. Are we identifying those mobilizers? And do our sellers know how to work with them, to partner with them, to coach them effectively? So that that internal mobilizer is the one actually building the consensus among the buying group and moving the deal forward. Because it's very difficult, particularly in a virtual environment, to move those deals forward from the outside. You need that internal partner. So I would say those three things, get the right message, make sure your sellers have the right skills to deliver that message effectively and confirm that they do. And then make sure you've got a strategy in place to identify the right mobilizer stakeholders to partner with to move the deals forward. 
Oh, those are excellent points. And your point about the conversational AI tools is so spot on. I mean, this is this is a new word. And you can't just rely on a lot of those conversations that happen, you know, in the room. We're, we're getting lost regardless, right? Because, you know, the sales guy, there are you know, multiple people in the room. They have great conversation. And at the end of the day, you just get a meeting notes from it saying, hey, whether you know, a perspective of that seller, of that meeting, Whereas you can actually, because now you are in a remote setting and you are empowered with tools that can record those conversations, you can analyze that conversation. And I don't think many organizations have actually adopted that as part of their overall customer engagement strategy yet. I know they're doing it in terms of, you know, rephrasing or, or up modernizing their IVR systems when customers are calling, but on a day-to-day conversations that are happening during a a customer meeting, I think the 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 notion of recording and analyzing it is still at a very very early stage. And your point is spot on. I mean that is that is a future. I agree. And and what I love about it is it it provides multiple benefits simultaneously. So you can measure the efficacy of the seller's delivery, their use of skill, their um, their capability. But you can also, at the same time, evaluate customer reaction to the message you're taking. Yeah, you can see it. You can see exactly what's happening, and and then you're not sort of taking the seller's word for it. Of well, how did the customer react to this this message? And then that lens will likely be biased in some way by what the seller perceived or what the seller wanted to believe the customer's reaction was. You can see those reactions in real time, and it's. I think it's just really important for sales leaders, sales managers to be capturing that feedback and spending a good portion of their time analyzing it, reviewing it, coaching sellers around it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think this is an, a perfect area for sales and marketing to get a line. And I think this is where the lines will actually get blurred is who is the seller? Is the guy who's who's carrying the quota the seller, <laughs> just like in the traditional world? Or because the marketing has to play so much bigger role now in all of this, because I just don't foresee sales doing all of this themselves. Uh, and it will take at least a decade's worth of generation to to come to a point where the new sellers that have that have learned these tools right at the get-go when they're doing their education, you know, they're comfortable with these tools to come and, you know, just use it as a second nature. But I think for a good next set of 10 years, I would say it's it's something that the marketing and sales have to so work so collaboratively in implementing these tools, analyzing the conversations, improving the message in an agile way. And, and just try what works and what doesn't and improve. Exactly. And if I can just make a quick comment to what you just said, which from a marketing standpoint, you know, I've been a marketer for many years and I've always been curious about how is the customer reacting to the message we've built and hopefully enabled our sellers correctly to deliver. And the fact that uh, in today's environment, you can objectively see exactly how the customer is reacting to that message and can tune it and uh, continue to test it, uh, do some agile development around that message as you see it performed in uh, in real time in the market is incredible. Incredible. And super exciting. Yeah, I think great times, as we call it, digital transformation. But digital transformation in the context of sales and marketing is something that CMOs and CSOs needs to start looking. And it's not just about, you know, 
implementing processes within the organization, but it's about how do you transform sales and marketing to become more digital? Absolutely. Great. No, thanks, Spencer. Thanks for your time. This was a great conversation. I really love the message. On, uh, and I haven't read some of your books, but I'll, I'll make sure. Uh, some of these books sounds very exciting and covering the point that I want to do. Well, great, Ashish. And it's been just a great pleasure speaking with you. And thank you for the invitation. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for a great conversation and important takeaway, Spencer. Sales leaders are certainly missing out if they're not using AI-based analysis of virtual sales meetings. Being able to confirm that the message is hitting the mark is critical for both developing the pipeline of new opportunities and in waking up existing customers to new ideas. Thanks everyone for listening and I hope you liked this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the Alignment Podcast on your favorite platform. Also, thanks to those who are reaching out to me at ashish.chain at karospulse.com with feedback and suggestions. You can look me up on LinkedIn. Until next time, stay safe and get aligned.